As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Life Mastery with Todd Allen, the talk radio show that dives into the science of higher consciousness. Join Todd and his guests weekly at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and learn how to live a peaceful life with intentional mastery. Enjoy a survey of inspiring topics such as abundance, intention, health, manifestation, love, and transformation. It's all right here. Leading authors, speakers, coaches, entrepreneurs with stories and messages to support your well-being, let alone your most evocative dreams. Hey, 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 it's another groovy day, and that's because when I woke up this morning, I made it that way, and it's going to be that way the rest of the day, unless something happens, and I just have to think about how I started my day, and it becomes groovy again. That's <laughs> It's also groovy because da, 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 it's Life Mastery Radio Day, my favorite day, Jackie's favorite day. We get to hang out and talk to some really, really cool people. And along with that, what am I doing next, Jackie? Oh, yeah. Well, let's just get centered and situated for a minute. <laughs> Took myself on a little trailer. Let's take a minute and just relax. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing so. And what I want you to do is think about all those things that you're grateful for. Not all of them, but pick a couple. What is it that you're grateful for? We all have something that we're grateful for and there is so much power in having an attitude of gratitude so let's just think about a couple take in a deep breath all the way down just let out a big ah uh, and let that gratitude flow right up through your heart center up through your throat chakra and right out of your speaker box out into the universe uh Let's do that one more time. This time, we're coming to the end of the year. So what are those What are those dreams, visions, and goals that you're holding on to or that you want to bring into reality next year? Think about those. Taking a deep breath all the way down deep. And let those out with a big ah. Uh, let them flow up through your heart center, throat chakra, out of your speaker box, and out into the universe. Uh, and here's the deal. Allow the universe the opportunity to make those come true for you. 
Uh, Jackie's smiling. Our guest is smiling. We're ready for a really cool show. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the show. As always, Hello. my co-host is with me. Not welcome to the show. Thanks for joining the show. It's one of those days. Here we go. Crazy rainy day, isn't it? Kind of makes the brain a little soggy. Our whole our whole world has just abruptly changed. We had some really nice weather, and now it's raining. Da, 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 da. But oh, beautiful my... fall colors, right? I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> How are things at the Speak Feed Lead Project? We're doing well. We're getting excited about Giving Tuesday. That is a big day for all nonprofits where we hope to get some donations in support of our programs for this year and next year as well. So everyone listening, think about Giving Tuesday, hashtag Giving Tuesday. Who are you going to support? How are you going to help them? Keep the Speak Feed Lead Project on your radar, and we would appreciate it if you would choose to donate a little bit to us in all your goodness that you do in the world. So that'd be great. This What's is up really with weird. you, Mr. Todd? I saw that you, Mr. Good Dog Owner that you are, built a little ramp for your puppy who can't get up the stairs anymore. Not a puppy, but you know, generally speaking, your older dog who can't get up the stairs anymore. I did that. I'm I'm battling I'm battling Facebook because they changed again. Did they? So I'm so trying not to be able to find the event. No, I'm trying to share the the watch party, and let's see what happens because they changed everything. Darn social media! They're always yeah. changing things up. I know. How are you supposed <laughs> to get? Okay, I think I did it. Yay! <laughs> People like us who are still trying to figure out the whole. Social the last media change, <laughs> we just now got used to that, and now they yeah. do something different. But it's a- it's so intuitive for kids, though. I mean, they, my grandkids, <laughs> they don't even have to think about anything. They open up something now; they know exactly what to do. They don't have to read the instructions. And I'm sitting here like, okay, so I have to do this, this, and this, but they just automatically know it's crazy crazy what's happening it's yeah i guess you have to be in that generation yes i did build i have a senior dog and he was having difficulty coming up the stairs because those stairs lead out into their dog pin and they have a a a dog door they can go out and come anytime they want all day long and all night long but he got to the point where he would go out there and then couldn't come back up those stairs Hmm. so if you go to the Todd Allen Cutterback Facebook page, you'll see that nice little ramp I built him. And I think that'll make a huge difference for him. It, I am now accessibility compliant. Yay, good for you. <laughs> Maybe it's the Dogs with Disability Act, the DDA. <laughs> something before they came and got me, I had to do something. No, right. It's going to make so. a huge difference in his life. You know. And your doggy's name is Rambo, right? Like us. Our pets give to that's Rambo. Rambo is the one, and then the other one, these they're a litter, litter pair, and she's got enlarged heart, so she does a lot of struggle with that too. So you know, just like us, our pets get old too. But you just got to make it make make them comfortable and and you know happy. That's what you got to do. Got to make those tough decisions for them for sure. I want to remind our listeners that today's show page is at www.lifemasterradio.net. There you can find the links to our guest later on this week. Jackie will create a blog post about this show and 
There will be links on both of those to our YouTube channel where you can go and listen to the show again or share it with your friends. We would really appreciate it if you tell a friend. You're a little choppy there, Todd, on my end, at least. Oh, I think. Not telephone. Tell us about while you introduce our guests. Go for it. Yes, you are a little choppy. See if you can figure out your technology there. <laughs> well, I am very excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Emily Latran. She was a great supporter of the summit that the Speak Be Lead Project hosted this past summer. She was one of our magnificent speakers and inspired all of our attendees with her story and a story about her son, which perhaps she will share with you today. But she is a general dentist, and this might be the first time you actually get to see a dentist straight on rather than as you look up at them. <laughs> so she, but she owns two multi-specialty group practices in Southern California, and she has written several books. Today, we might find time to focus on a couple of them. The first one she wrote, I think, talks about her story coming to the United States as a refugee when she was 13 years old. The title of that book is From Refugee to Renaissance Woman. And now she's a successful businesswoman. And so she's now written some books about how to do that. And one of them that we might talk about today is our, her newest book, which is called Commit to Embracing Your Big Life. And that book offers some strategies to building a really strong business. So she's come full circle here. And I love that she's here on election day because it's a good reminder that the American dream still lives. And Emily is a wonderful exemplar of that. So she is a certified high performance coach, helping business professionals achieve their highest performance in personal and business life. She also is the founder of the Emily Latran Foundation, which provides dental care to veterans and families of disadvantaged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Her foundation right now is raising funds to attain a mobile dental unit where she can carry her services to outreached communities. So we are delighted to have her with us, everybody. Please welcome Miss Dr. Coach Emily Latran. She's got a lot of titles. <laughs> Yay, Emily. <laughs> so how are you doing? Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's absolutely my honor uh, to be on the air. Like you mentioned before, it's election day. Um, I, I think the American dream is well alive because each one of us, uh, we have that sense of gratitude, knowing that we live in the greatest country in the world. I don't I don't care. I've been to a couple of countries. <laughs> and I think, you, you can I, I, say I, it. I believe it too. I do think, you know, it's not like I travel the world, but I've been to a couple of countries and I would say, I want to be back right back here in, in Southern California where there's a mixture of people, um, you know, there's different languages and we all love the country, right? We, yeah. we, may, we may think about our motherland at certain times, like the Lunar New Year, you know? <laughs> Um, your certain cultural time, but overall, I think everybody in the country, you know, our citizens, um, you know, we take pride in being here, 
Um, we are grateful to be here. And, and I think overall, we're always looking to build a better, brighter future. And there's no other place than the United States that offer people that. Well, your story personifies that. Am I still chopping up, Jack? Not as much. I think you're okay. doing a little better now. Your story personifies that, Emily. And I was just blown away. And I know a couple of people, a couple of really good friends that were refugees from Vietnam. Same story, same situation. And, and you ended up coming to the United States of America with nothing, nothing but a hope, a dream, and a prayer, I would say. And opportunity and strive and just one thing after another, your drive, determination, and holding on to that dream brought you to success. And, you know, Maybe for our listeners, you could share a little bit of your story about leaving Vietnam, what was going on, and coming to the United States. It is just truly amazing. Well, thank, thank you for asking that. Well, I, I was actually born in the late 60s um, during the Vietnam War. So I live in Saigon, which is the main city in, in wow. South Vietnam. We weren't really you know, getting attacked or anything until the, the very last day. That is when Saigon fell, and that's the end of the Vietnam War. But, but every night growing up, what I watched on TV were just horrific images of war. Um, I, I don't know, you, you may remember the My Lai massacre where you know, the, whole, the whole village were killed. And you, got, you see those pictures on, on the newspaper. You see those pictures just keep flashing on TV. Um, you see pictures of bombing. And you know, so those are the images I grew up with. And in... 1975 is when the war ended, the communists took over and the Americans left. Uh, I still remember the, the day after, well, the whole night before the sky looked orange because of all the smoke. All, yeah, all the smoke. And then the next morning, you, I could actually see uniforms from the defeated side, right? People just throwing their uniforms. It's on the street. I remember my brother uh, brought home a couple of uh, shells <laughs> and my dad would say, throw those away. <laughs> those, are, those are not toys. And, and so once the communists took over, life just changed. Um, if you never live in a communist country and maybe you watch movies and you see people standing in line trying to get food, uh, people don't have enough of their necessity. That's exactly what happened when, we, when the thing just got changed. As a kid, I used to stand in one of those lines. Um, sometimes it's just, okay, you're supposed to get this much rice because there's so many people in your family, right? And then every month, my dad as a teacher, he, he could buy, let's say, one pound of sugar. We're talking about nice white sugar, right? Because how many people you have in your family, that's how much you're going to get. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so um, we lived through that period. My, my mother passed away one year after the communists took over. And, and we live in a in an extended family, so that's my dad, my my aunt, and everybody take one story in the you know three story home. And in 1981, Vietnam was going to go to war again. So the war just ended in 75 in 1981. They were going to go to war again with China in the north and Cambodia in the west. Um, this is where you watch the movie The Killing Fields, mm -hmm. with all of those things going on with the Pol Pot. So the the Communist Vietnamese used that as a reason to, to invade Cambodia. And they were drafting all the young men to go to war again. 
And at that point, my aunt decided to leave the country. She was taking a couple of my cousins uh, and my older brother, so all guys, and her two, her two younger children. So as a girl, I wasn't going to be drafted, but my, my dad told me, you're the oldest one in the family. I was 13. Uh, you have to go help your aunt. Mm -hmm. So I, le I left the country. The understanding was we're going to escape, and then later on, he's going to escape with my younger siblings. Did you so, really have to escape though? I mean, was it easy for you to leave or was this like a clandestine escape? This is a this is an escape where you crawl into a little boat in the middle of the night mm. and the and the boat has no light, no nothing. The boat just slowly take off. And the next day before you get into international water, you get shot at by the coast guards because they were trying to capture stop. you. Mm -hmm. So they actually stop us, rob us, and then let us go. Hmm. Um, seven days on the ocean. And I finally came to a refugee camp in Malaysia. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I left my dad when I was 13 and I never saw him again. Wow. Because he passed away later on. And the, we did not have normal relationship between the two countries. So he passed away right after I graduated from undergrad. And, you know, I, I couldn't have gone back to, to even visit or do anything. And so I, I think what happened is when you leave the country, even though you're a kid, but you feel that sense of responsibility, right? It, it's like you're taking the hope that your dad think that you're gonna make something out of it. And, and that's why I think survivor um, surviving in the in the refugee camp and then and then coming to America, like you mentioned earlier, with nothing. And I I think I had hope and faith, which was pretty big, <laughs> pretty heavy yeah. duty, pretty heavy duty thing for a thirteen year old, right? For, for yeah, for a thirteen year old. And I think the the advantage I had back then was. When you're younger, you don't you're not scared. You you don't know what you're supposed no to be fear. scared about. So I, I know my aunt was probably terrified because she came to the new country. But for me, with it kids, was yeah, right. right. She, with, had, with, what, she had seven, six, seven, seven of she, you with her. She, six of us. Six. Six of us with her, and and so um, for me, the challenge was how do I live up to this hmm. kind of expectation? It wasn't it wasn't set. You know, this is what we expect you to do. Once you get to the United States, my dad never said that, but but you feel it, right? Mm -hmm. You you want to make him proud. You want to make the family proud. So for me, it was always driven to be able to serve the family better, because when I first came, you know, I was one of those kids that delivered newspaper early in the morning. So get up at five o'clock, deliver newspaper, and bike to school, whether it's rain or shine, and I was in line for the free lunches, right? Because we, we don't really have a lot of money. And then you see these other kids hop into their car and drove off to go get, I still remember, um, in and out Burger, right? And they, 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 write, they write about it in the newspaper and I'm reading and I'm wondering, what is in and out Burger? How good does it taste? You know, these little things, are sort of, it, it sort of anchor you a little bit, but it's, it's those things that push you, right? I'm thinking, when can I have a car so I can leave during lunchtime, <laughs> you know, like like other people, right? Uh, yeah. And, and you were in you were in California by this time, right? You're talking about in high school, right? Yes, so yes. So we originally came to New Orleans, 
I was in the refugee camp for um, about three and a half months. That was in Malaysia, you said? That was, that was in Malaysia. It's, it's on an island. Mm -hmm. So the, the, Malay, the Malaysian government just you know, kind of gave um, United Nations this little island. It, it was a deserted island. So they built some kind of house, you know, some sheds, and then there's some that the people just build themselves. Um, and then they give you a little package of supply, like little rice, a can of meat with usually one piece of meat in there, as you remember. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, some mung beans, two, uh, two instant noodle bags, and some, I think it's dry fish. I can't, I can't remember. There was something, you know, like a, some dry goods in there. And it's supposed to last you for three days. So, so however many people are in your family, that's how many packages you get. Um, oh. Yeah. So do I you remember being hungry, or do you feel that you had that you were thinking of other things besides food at that time? Oh, I remember being hungry because there were yeah. some there were some vendors, Malaysian vendors. They and basically they sell fruit and vegetable <laughs> you know, okay. because you couldn't really grow any fruit there, and or vegetable, we, we could we would grow bean sprout because they gave us mung beans, but that's about it. Yeah. And um, you can buy fresh fish, but some, some people make a little boat and they go fishing. So you can buy some fresh fish. But I remember for the three and a half months, I think I had chicken once. They gave us fresh chicken once. Hmm. I think that might have been the only time. I don't hmm. remember having chicken yeah. twice. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then you came to New Orleans and ultimately ended up in California. In California. And, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And what did you, what was your first impression of America as it compared to Vietnam? Well, the first, I remember the first, well, it was the first time I was on a plane. <laughs> to, oh, right. Yeah, and all of a sudden you go from Malaysia all the way to Los, yeah. Ange Los Angeles, and then you go from Los Angeles to New Orleans. Uh, I remember seeing everything big. Right, so you, you feel a little lost. Mm. I, rem I remember getting to my cousin's house because we have a cousin who escaped on the very last day. He was, oh, in, wow. he, he was in the military. And uh, I remember him telling me to go take a shower and I went there and I didn't know how to turn on the, the water. <laughs> <laughs> I was standing there and I came back and I was like, how do you turn, <laughs> turn on the water? Um, the first meal, it, it was really funny because the first meal he got us was Popeye chicken. Ah. And we all sat down, we look at all this chicken and we ask him, where, where's the rice? Because we're not supposed to eat fruit by itself. Right. <laughs> so I, I was just like, what, what is this? Where's all the rice? And so for, for me, it was the culture shock, obviously. And then the language, because yeah. when you, I mean, we spoke a little bit, we, my dad has, has made us go to this several, a couple of months night class to just learn conversational English. Wow. But you know, when you learn it from that book, uh, it was very popular English for today, you know? And then you go to America, it's not, the, it's not, not the exactly same. the same. <laughs> and I remember I would have to repeat everything twice. I say one thing and the person look at me, so I'm gonna repeat it again. And then when the person answered me, I asked them to repeat it again. So it, communication took a while. Yeah. Well, and I, and I I found it just fascinating your determination because you would take your homework 
and then take a dictionary and translate every word at night before you went to school the next day so that you understood what was being said. Wow. Yes, yes, because as we, you know, as a kid, imagine being in school for five hours or however long, maybe from eight to two thirty, and not really, seriously, not really understand anything. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, because the teacher just talk and you just, you just stare, (laughs) (laughs) you you know, and maybe you, sometimes you understand a little bit by context, but you know, some of the classes, I still remember we had a earth science. I mean, that (laughs) it's hard to get context from there, (laughs) right? Right. Like those kind of subjects. And so, and so for me, I needed to translate in order to understand. And then, you know, you have to take tests. So you have to, I, I just try to identify certain words that go together when I go take a test, because luckily we have multiple choice and matching in this country. Uh, if it was essay, that would have been, that would be done, right? Because right. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to, to answer an essay question. Uh, but but I think what, what drove me was, I, I want to at least show them that not like I'm good enough, but you know, I, I'm trying, yeah. right? Because I, I know that the teachers also know I just came, so but how much they expect of me, how much I know, and and how much I show them that I'm trying. Um, again, it, it, it's a little bit of trying to live up to the expectation because so you, you were just determined to fit in. Is that is that a good way to explain it? Or you were you were determined to show them that you could be an American too? Is that a good way to say it? How would you say that? That where where was that determination coming from? Yes, the determination is, you know, I'm determined to understand your language so I can communicate, hmm. so I can learn. Hmm. Uh, I gave up on determining to look like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Now, were you the we're only refugee in your school or were there other kids that were coming in at the same time? That particular school, I was um, in New Orleans. We were in Harvey, which I understood later is not exactly the richest, you know, mm. area. So there were there were quite a few of us in the okay. school. When I got to California, there was maybe 10 Vietnamese in the in the school. Um, but and then they have maybe two, two English English as a second language period. So maybe you have twenty, maybe a total of thirty or forty students in the whole mm. in the whole school. So for me, I just I just don't want to to be so lost, right? I I remember going through high school thinking assembly is such a waste of time. Every time they every time they say we have an assembly, I, I'm like, okay, we have to go and sit there. And I don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they talk about a football game, which I don't understand either. And so here I am wasting about 30 minutes. So <laughs> I, I, I'm really curious, Emily, during these times in high school, I mean, you're a, you're a young adult, teenager. Was there any hope or was there any thought or idea that you would go back to Vietnam? Or were you pretty much determined that the United States of America was your new home? Well, the, the hope was for my dad to come over mm-hmm. um, because there were some other family issues with the communist government, which is basically, uh, I, I don't know if you know, if you live in a communist country, obviously there's Big, big Brother watching, yeah. but 
but they can they can go to your house and search your house anytime they, they, anytime they could they could take you away with no reason those kind of things mm -hmm. and um we had some of that happen in the family so i mean i didn't enjoy that experience as a kid and so when i was here it was more okay this is a, a different country there's a lot there's a lot of abundance i remember we went out the family would go out and we'd take a picture let's say we're eating hamburger we take a picture send back home and my youngest sister would complain and say could you stop taking picture with food mm. because mm. you're sitting there with a bunch of food we don't want we don't want to see right. the food, right? And for us, it was more like, no, we, we're having a get together. Yeah. So sometimes you don't understand that because you, when you're here, then you kind of forget over there, yeah. the, the yeah. life. So for me, it was, it wasn't so much, I'm going to stay here. It was more, I want my dad here. So I feel complete, right? Mm -hmm. My dad and the rest of the family, because it was, it was my dad and two younger siblings. So, and, and, and I, I quickly understood that this country give us a lot of opportunities hmm. because I can see, right? I, I can see that, you know, I, I could get straight A's and I could get recognized. And I actually was able to go to um, undergrad. I took af late afternoon classes when I was still in high school at UC, hmm. Riverside, UC Riverside. And then I took summer classes. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I have these, you, you, there's no way you could do that back in Vietnam. So I, I truly. The land I, of opportunity. You yes. Could, you yes. could feel that there was, there was a lot more that you could. Yes. That's very cool. Did you, oh. I have to ask, wait, I'm sorry, Jack, but I have to ask because it's such a, a big buzzword in our society today. Did you experience, and I'm just going to say, did you experience any kind of racism or any kind of roadblock because you were from Vietnam? Oh, absolutely. You did? Yes, absolutely. Even, even when I became a dentist, right? I could have a patient sitting in the, in the chair and they look at me and they said, did you go to school here? Mm. Right? Because obviously my last name is not an American last name and obviously I don't look American. And they could have looked at my website and it, it says right on there, graduated from UCLA, right. you know, but, but they would sit there and they would ask you that question. Um, I, and actually, uh, to be honest with you, I, when I became a citizen, I ironically became a citizen right after my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, the two requirements to sponsor somebody over was if you were under 21, you would have to be a citizen. If you were over 21, you would need to have a job. And I didn't qualify for either. <laughs> you know, I was under 21. I wasn't a citizen. And so after I became a citizen, he passed away. Hmm. And so, you know, when you become a citizen, you could change your name. Um, I took my, I took the name Emily as my first name. I kept my Vietnamese name as my middle name, Quailin, because it's Q-U-E-L-I-N-H. So, you know, you you can see how people just tend to butcher that up. <laughs> and uh, my last name, Le Tran, Le and Tran are two different last names. I put them together. And, and the, the reason for Emily is because, well, maybe they're not going to discriminate me so much. You know what mm. I mean? Like, if they hear Emily, they don't know that I'm Asian. 
Yeah. And the name no, Emily. That's a wise, wise move. Yeah. Yeah. And the name Emily actually came from, uh, I was taking French in high school. They, they told us, I got, a, I started eighth grade, got into high school, and they said, you have to take a foreign language. Is it French or Spanish? And I didn't even know what Spanish was. So I said, oh, but I know what French is. So I'm going to take French. Yeah. Because of French. Yeah. yeah. So when we went to class, everyone had to pick a French name. Hmm. So I freaked Emily, and I figure, if I change my name to Emily, somebody call Emily, at least I'm going to turn around because I'm, you know, I'm used to I that, know name. that name. <laughs> <laughs> so tell well, me, Emily. I want to remind our listeners just quickly that you are tuned into Life Mastery Radio with Todd. And I'm Todd, and that's Jackie. <laughs> and our guest today is Dr. Emily Latran, and she has written a couple of amazing books. Tell us about your books, Emily, real quick. Well, the... A couple of years ago, I was in a mastermind, a meeting group with several. I know masterminds um, well. Yeah, several male male business friends, and we were supposed to go around share a story, and I didn't know what to share, so I just said, "I'm just going to tell you my story," and I started telling my story, and every single man was crying in yeah. the room. I it tears and, it tears uh, just reading your story. I teared up. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I realized at that time, that was the very first time I actually shared the story. Oh, wow. So, so many years. Because I figure, you know, another Vietnamese, we have the same story. Like you said, everybody, if, if they left the country during that time, they escaped on a boat. They were in a refugee camp. So to me, it was everybody's story. But when well, I, when I, so when let's, I, let's just focus on that just for a minute, because I want, to give, I want you to give a big shout out to all of those people that have that similar experience, how powerful it was to put your story to paper. Yes. And, and that's one of the reasons why I share the first one is sometimes we think our story is just our story, but it could inspire other people. Absolutely. And I think, and I think we have an obligation, a responsibility to share. The second one is I want to encourage other, you know, Asian Americans, other immigrants, right? To understand that when you are able to have a voice, which you do have a voice here, but I'm saying when you have a voice in a book, that's kind of a different voice, right? And, and you will be able to reach more people. Yeah. I could share that in the mastermind group, but if, if it's in the book, and if I send the book to my friend across the country, then somebody across the country is now going to know the book. Uh, if I'm sharing on this radio platform, and thank you for creating the platform, there are more people who are going to listen and, and they, they may say, you know what? That sounds like my dad. That sounds like my grandparents. Oh, that sounds like me. I just came here or something like that. And they know that, yeah, you could come. And, and because there's so much opportunity here. And for me growing up, it was all the free assistance, right? Mm -hmm. it, it was the, the welfare, the food stamp, the free housing. So that's one of the reasons why I want to help people who are underprivileged for whatever you know, reason that they in that position. Right. And I and have so to I, tell you quickly though, too, that this radio show, the whole idea for this radio show and the whole idea for me doing it was started in a mastermind group too. So there's, there's yes. power to those things as well. Okay. I, I'm going to be quiet for a minute. Cause I'm stepping on Jackie way too much. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I mean, for me, you know, all of my friends, a lot of my friends are professionals doctors, dentists, attorneys, 
nobody ever shared the story. I'm not sure why. For me, it was that one occasion that just kind of started the whole thing. And, and when I first wrote the book and I worked with a, with a business coach who published the book, and then he said, you need to talk, you know, you need to speak. And I said, I'm not a speaker. I don't want to speak. And he said, no, no, you, you will end up being a speaker. So of course he's a little psychic. <laughs> well, he's a coach. <laughs> there's no way with a story like that, that you cannot spread hope, joy, and, and a, a dream to anybody that hears it. It's just, Right, Jackie? I mean, Jackie and I are both public speakers and know, know that science. And when you have a story like that, it, it moves people. Well, everybody has a story, right? That's true. And, and if we, you know, what I admire about you, Emily, is that you recognize that your story could be helpful and inspiring to other people. And it certainly has been. And when you say it was important to share your voice, well, that touched my heart because that's exactly what I'm trying to help all children to do is to find their voice and to understand who they are and what purpose they have for being here, right? And so I wanted to ask you, because it's election day and we are talking about the American dream still being alive today. So how can someone who is an immigrant, a refugee, like you are, or like you were, I don't know how you still identify yourself, but um, She's how can, what, what advice do you give to them when they, when they first get here? What, what are some things that, that will help to empower their experience here? And secondly, what do people like me and Todd do when we come across someone who is a refugee, who's an immigrant, and you know, how can we best support that person? How can we build them up and give them the most hopeful experience they can while here. So it's kind of a two-sided question there. Yes, I, I think um, we keep talking about opportunity. And I think for me, personally, it means resources, right? So I think if somebody have just come here, whatever the status is, I mean, I know you, you can, you say legal, illegal, whatever it is, right? But you're, you're here, um, look for help look for resources. I, I remember when we first came to California, there's a, there's a lady in a church who would come and take us to the dentist, right? And everybody called her, I still remember Mama Ruth. Hmm. And I came to find out that her son went to the same high school with me. Oh. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. But I mean, if you think about it, okay, you know, somebody's gonna just help you for free, let's say. They're just going to give you a ride, right? Now, for us, because we had some friends, that's how we got connected. But let's say if you didn't, you just ask for help. You ask, can you help me or can you point me to where the resources are? And, and for me, it, it, I, I mean, everybody is very proud, right? So sometimes he goes, oh, I don't want to ask for help. For me, I don't have any problem asking for help because I know that when I'm a, in a position to give back, I'm going to give back. Mm. So I think instead of asking and thinking that you may be a burden, think, think more like, you know what? I'm going to ask for help in whatever that I need. And if I get the help, then I'm going to turn around. And I'm going to help other people. And it may not be another refugee. It could be somebody else who just need help from me. And then I'm going to, I'm going to continue that. So it's, it's that chain of, of action, the ripple effect um, that, I, that I, I see with my own eyes 
And then what you do then is you also instill in your kids. Because if they see that you gladly helping other people, then they'll do the same thing. I think some of my kids are even more generous than me. <laughs> <laughs> with their friend, time and food. <laughs> um, but on the other side, I think just stay open-minded, right? A lot of times we tend to stereotype people. We tend to assume because people look a certain way. Um, you, you know how, you know the saying, you know, dress for success, right? If I don't dress a certain way and I'm small and I'm Asian, you know, I know I can play dumb. I can, I can play like I don't speak English. Yeah, and, and sometimes that's the conversation. If you're in line, somebody talk about you because they don't—they don't think you understand. Um, and I and I I think that's really I think that's something that we can all overcome as as a as a society is not stereotyping. Don't assume that people don't know. Right. Uh, my my new staff is funny. I, I would freak them out because they would be talking about me, and in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Should have learned Spanish and, after and, all. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I did. I took Spanish. I took okay. two quarters of Spanish and I can fluently converse in Spanish in dental, right? Teeth and everything, I, I can talk like that. But I would say something and the, the staff would be like, you speak Spanish, right? And, <laughs> and again, it's the assumption, right? Oh, she, she, don't, she doesn't speak Spanish. She's Asian and yeah. she's a dentist or whatever it is. So I think for us to be open-minded, not stereotyping people um, and and just be helpful in general. So if somebody asks you for help, it doesn't have to be a refugee or, or a foreigner, whatever you want to call that. Just be open to help, period. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think um, that's what I, I've been very lucky. I, that's been my experience. And I'm like I say, I'm not shy in asking for help because I'll ask it, I'll get what I want, and I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna give back in return. Well, and you I... are giving it back, right? You are yeah. a successful businesswoman, and now you are coaching other business owners. Is your specialty dental practices, or are you helping other types of business to be successful too? I actually help um, business across industry. Okay. Uh, my, my point is, let's say, from a woman's standpoint, everybody have more responsibilities than they want, <laughs> so, <laughs> or they sign up for more than they should. So as, as a woman, you got your kids and you got your spouse. And if you're Asian, you got your extended family that you have to take care of. And then you go to work and you take care of your team and you take care of your patients and you want to serve the community. But sometimes there's just way too many things. Yeah. Um, if you're a man, it's probably the same thing. It's just that you ignore your kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? You, you don't just feel as much as the woman in general. Right. It's so, not as much of a burden. Yeah, because that, that, that's what we say when we're hiring a staff and we say, well, if you hire a woman and the kid is sick, the woman's staying home, right? But the guy show up to work and he say, my kid is sick while my wife is staying home. Yeah. You know, so, Jackie, it's interesting to know that. How old were you, Emily? Because after you got your license to be a dentist, you had three, three offices. How old were yes. you then? I, um, when I graduated, I was 25. Wow. And I bought, so I did a residency at a VA hospital for a year. 
And uh, then I came out and I worked for two more years. Then I bought my first practice in 97. And then I bought my second one in 99. And I, the, the third one was in 2005. So from 2005 to 2013, I, I ran three offices. Wow. Yeah. That's, and, wow. Gumption, lady. You get gumption. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the secret? I mean, that takes a lot of determination, which we already know that you have. Um, is there something else that you need, that a person needs to have to be able to operate three businesses when you've come from, from a situation where you're still trying to learn and fit in and all of that stuff? I mean, extra challenges there. So what, what, what's the secret? <laughs> well, I, th I, think, I think the first secret is having clarity. Mm. Know, knowing what's most important to you. I, I think a lot of time uh, people, people think that there are a lot of things that are important, but when you actually think about it, it's not. Uh, one of the things I learned from my coach, if you wake up in the morning and you check your email, what you're checking are people's agendas for you. Mm. Uh, you add, let's say you, you, you email me and you say, can you send me a picture? And then somebody emails and say, can you send me this? Well, what, what, I haven't done anything for myself and I'm answering to other people's agenda. So if you have that clarity, let's say you get up in the morning and you say, I'm gonna pray or I'm gonna exercise and then I'm gonna get ready for me first and I'm gonna get ready for my family, then I'll, get, I'll go get ready for you know, the emails. Um, I, think, I think when you have that clarity, it's easier to decide what to focus on. For me, every day is groovy, right, Jackie? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, but you wake I, up that way. <laughs> Well, you, and, and my, my friend, when they, when they come by and visit me when the kids were younger, she would say, in the morning, you're like a sergeant, right? Kid, kid go, go, go. <laughs> get in the van so we can get to school. And, and sometimes you have to approach life like that if you want to get all three kids to three different schools, right? And, and then when you get to work, I, I used to take off two hours in the middle of the day from two to four to go pick up my kids. Um, I would work from 92, then I take off, school's out at 2.30, I go pick them up. When they were younger, they went to the babysitter. When they were older, sometimes they go to work with me and they just hang out in the lunchroom. And then I would work from four to six. So one o'clock is when really focused because I need to get out at two. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, whatever procedure you put in there, I gotta get, I need to finish. And patient wanna ask one more question. I say, no, I gotta go pick up my kids. So, so when you're very clear, you've got something that you have to do because it's yeah. important to you, even though it's just really uh, shuffering, I mean, a chauffeuring, right? Picking up your kids, you make that decision, you make that call, you got to go do it. And it's easy to say no. Um, it's easy not to let people take your time. Right. And sometimes when we're sitting in an office, and imagine if you're sitting in an office, you're trying to work on something and people just keep knocking on your door, right? I have one question for you. Can I have five minutes? Pretty soon, you're not focusing on whatever you're doing. That's so, called boundaries, I think. Right? Yes, yes, Setting yes. Boundaries. Yes, but you have to you have to know why you set the boundary. It, right. it, it's because your this this particular task is important to you. So I would say, focus. Um, you know, having the clarity so you know what to focus on is one. And the second one is you all you you want your goal should be to be productive, meaning. You don't want to be busy. You want results. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a blog today, right? Like if Jackie say, I'm going to write a blog on this, on this uh, radio show. And, you, and if you say, okay, I'll do it after the show, but you didn't say when, sometimes you may get distracted. But if you say, well, the show ends at 11 and I'm going to write that blog at one, then you, be, you become more productive because now you, you are allotted that amount of time for that particular task. Mm. And, and you don't have a conflict of the schedule because if you're not setting the goal to be productive, if it's just my days, I have 10 things to do, but none of them are take priorities over others and you don't really plan your day, you may end up the day and say, oh, I have five more things to do I didn't do. But you yeah. know, for, for some reason, I was really busy today. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes you find out in kids, right? They say, yeah, mom, I'm studying. And then, <laughs> and then I come in the room and say, okay, are you done studying? No, you know. <laughs> and and sometimes I would tease them. I say, I don't remember studying that hard when I was in high school. <laughs> you know, for me, Emily, I always found that everything that I was supposed to do that day got done. Right? Right, right. Everything yes. that I was supposed to do. Now, there could have been other things that I that needed to get done, but everything mm-hmm. that was supposed to get done got done. And I mm-hmm. and I bet you that it's not by chance. It may happen to you like that because you're probably a high performer, that you get things done. But there are people who just go through the motion. Yeah. I got 10 things to do, I'll get it done. But they don't have any sense of urgency. And I don't mean I don't mean urgency as in rush. Urgency as in I said Important. I was going to do this. Yes, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do this by by this time. So one of the thing I love to challenge my clients is, um, like one of my clients would say, "Oh, I'm going to make a, an online course." So this is this is like January, and I said, "By when?" She said, "By December." And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, I said, "Must be some kind of course." I, I know. I, I said, forget it. And she goes, what do you mean forget it? And I said, forget it. If you're going to give yourself 12 months, just forget it. It's not a real goal. And mm-hmm. so she says, well, what, what, what do you mean? And I said, why don't you just finish it by June? She finished it in May. Hmm. And all, nice. it took, all it took was that challenge, right? Uh, because if I didn't say anything, she'll give herself a deadline in December, and we're just going to move along, and we don't really finish certain things. So, right. yeah, so I think that's what would be helpful, especially when people in this day and age, maybe they say about the kids, they, they are not so focused, things like that. I, I say, give them a challenge, give them a deadline. Instill in them that it's actually better to finish earlier than, <laughs> than you know, right. progress, procrastinate. And, and when you do that with the little things, when you do that when you're younger, then you grow up a better adult. Cool. Now, now be you mentioned your children, and you actually have one son who has written a book. Yes. Right? And he did it, when was he 15 or something like that? Published a book at 15? We, uh, we published it when, when he was 15. He started writing when he was 14. And, and basically, he had gone through a couple of years being bullied at school. Uh, he's the skinniest, shortest Asian boy. In in his grade, right? So let's say there, I don't know how many kids are in that in that whole grade. Let's say there are sixty of them. He's the youngest one. I, I know he he even wrote in the book. They're supposed to run around the 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 athletic field, 
and even the the girls beat him, you know, because no. <laughs> because because they're taller than him, right? So yeah. he he'll be the last one. Um, and so the kids were bullying him. The kids were teasing him. Really, just two boys, and it drove him to the point where he actually was thinking about com committing suicide. Mm. And and I wanna just kind of bring that up because sometimes our kids are smart. They bottle it up, and you you don't see it. And I mean, in hindsight, I saw certain signs. But to me, you know, when younger kids, teenagers, they could be going through whatever, <laughs> whatever period. Right. So, so if all of a sudden he's more quiet, I don't know if he's more quiet because he's going through yeah. some changes. I, I wouldn't have known that, you know, <laughs> you're quiet because you're in this situation. They don't so, have the ability to discern either. That part of the brain right. has been proven not to have developed yet. So they, mm -hmm. they don't know how to discern that this is not a good choice. It's, yeah. Exactly. And, and and we're talking about, you know, he's a straight A student. He participates in a lot yeah. of things. He's kind of a, a well, a well-rounded kid, but the, these two individuals would corner him in a bathroom, yeah. corner of a school and bully him that way. And so what we did was after we talked to the school and he talked to the school psychologist and the psychologist talked to the other kids' parents, um, we asked them to put him in some kind of leadership position, right? So he'll be in front of the school so where people can see that he could do this and he could do that. And it slowly build up his confidence. Yeah. And, and I'm very proud to say when, by the time he got to high school, um, he's, he was writing for the LA Times for the high school section. Wow. And he just started uh, UCLA as an English major and he just got accepted as an intern for the Daily Bruin. Nice. And, and, you know, so all of these things, it's, it comes out good, good results. And, and I think when he writes, he's just going to have that different perspective because of the experience he's been through. And, and I think awesome. Yeah. Oh my goodness, ladies. We just have about three minutes left. <laughs> did, did I meet your expectations, Emily? Did you have a blast today? <laughs> oh, I, I had a blast and thank you for allowing me to share some of the thoughts and the feelings. Um, it, it's a special day, election day. It, it's a day yeah. that we go and we can exercise our right as a citizen. Mm -hmm. And um, everybody should be very proud of that. And everybody should feel very grateful just to be in this country. You, you, you should be grateful that you actually have opposing parties that fight with each other. Yeah. Right? Rather Instead than of one. Yes, instead of one, and you still uh, have, and you still have to go to to vote, but that doesn't mean anything. Because, yeah, because it's a one party. So sometimes when you haven't been in a different situation, you don't understand that. You don't you don't appreciate the freedom of speech, and the freedom of religion, and you know just be able to 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 exercise you know your right to vote. Although, ah. although I heard something last night, it um, freedom. Freedom, freedom of speech is difficult when the speech is not politically correct, <laughs> right? That's that's kind of way you would be described <laughs> Vietnam back then because mm -hmm. it wasn't politically correct to say what you thought. Well, it wasn't allowed. It was censored. To yeah. this day, uh, it was still it's still being censored. And, and I learned something, I, I, I don't have a, an ability to fact check, but um, 
my one of my uncle, my dad's younger son, he told me, well, you know, there were, there's a column when I was growing up in the newspaper that is always about like a sarcastic view, somebody who mocking the government a little bit. Well, that was your dad's column <laughs> oh. with, a pen, with a pen name. And I go, are you serious? Wow. So, I mean, there's no way to check that. But what I'm saying is, you know, you, you can't even put your name out there, right? This is yeah. my opinion. I want people to know this is my opinion. So, and then in this country, you can write a book and publish it and tell your story. Yeah. It's just a, such a big difference. Yeah. Thank you well, again, Emily. I hope you come back. I, I think that there's a lot more that we can talk about. I want everyone to check out Emily's book. She has a really cool website, DrEmilyLatran.com. You can go and check her out. She's got some amazing programs that will take you to success too. Is it possible for me to, to offer your listeners to get a template on how to focus on their work and increase their productivity? Yep. Of course. Yeah. We'll give that to Jackie and she'll put it in the newsletter. How's that sound? Yeah, that would be great. Okay, yeah. we are out of time. We are down to the wire. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Tell your friends about Life Mastery Radio. And lastly, please, please make it a great day because it is all about choice. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Life Mastery with Todd Allen, the talk radio show that dives into the science of higher consciousness. Join Todd and his guests weekly at 10 a.m. Pacific time and learn how to live a peaceful life. For more information on Todd and his guests, visit his website at www.lifemasteryradio.net. That's www.lifemasteryradio.net. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.